And let's, uh, let's get into the word. We, we, we started this new collection uh, a few weeks ago entitled Roots, and we're looking to have strong roots in our faith and our understanding of even the, the theology of the things that we really believe. And uh, we're walking through something called the Nicene Creed, and we want to say it this morning all together. And so uh, it'll be up on the screen there for you, and I'm going to read it. You can follow along. Say it um, like you mean it from your homes. Let, let's say this together. Ready? Let's read. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through Him, all things were made for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit. He became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man for our sake. He was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, He rose again in accordance with the Scriptures. He ascended into heaven. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. And His kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, He is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. And everyone said, Amen and Amen. Today I want to hone in on some of those parts as it talks about Jesus. And uh, today I want to bring a message to you entitled Center Stage. Center Stage. Now, uh, in high school, uh, I participated in theater and uh, did dramas, one-act plays, uh, dialogues, even went to some competitions for those things. And I enjoyed it. I had fun. And, and one of the things that uh, they teach you in drama and theater is stage cues. They, they want to cue you uh, with certain terminology so that you know where to enter stage, where to stand on stage, where to be. And uh, one of the cues is called center stage. And, and it's an important cue because that tells you where the main action is happening. Uh, center stage is the spot in the middle of the stage where Eh, all of the lights are honed in. Most of the acting is, is focused. All of the, uh, uh, the, the little uh, nuances and the main characters and the, uh, the main part of the scene, it's all taking place right there in center stage. And it cues everybody to know what to focus on, even, even those who are watching in the sides. And so center stage is this really important thing. And, and I, obviously sometimes you can, uh, they, they, there was a joke that said that the reason uh, all of the stage cues aren't from the audience's perspective. They're actually from the actor's perspective is because all actors like it to be all about them, right? Like if it's stage left, I'm on stage left. If it's stage right, I'm going to go to stage right. And so it's all about, all about the actors. I think one of the things that is beautiful about art and story and movie and drama and theater, music even, uh, poetry, all of the arts, is that through the arts, we have this ability to really dial in and, and kind of connect our human emotions, our human experiences. They, they help us tell a story that is sometimes where, where we have a hard time articulating 
our lives and our stories. It's in these uh, art things, uh, other people's words that help us discover a little bit about who we are. Maybe there's a, a movie that you've watched where, man, you just really relate to the characters of the movie. Maybe there's a, a, a book or a story or a series where like, man, every time you read it or you hear about it, it, there's, it just helps you relate. You're like, oh, I can relate to, I can relate to that. I think a lot of times, even in music, music moves us and stirs us and helps articulate what it is that's going on on the inside, and it helps us kind of connect with who we really are and who we're not. And it has this beautiful way of telling a story that helps us see kind of from an outside perspective and learn something about, about us. The, the danger is, is that when we take other stories and we just insert ourselves into those stories, they're not really about, about us. I think sometimes we, we can do that with, with Scripture, with the Bible, where we read the Bible and we, we, we read it and we're like, oh, the, the Bible's all about, it's about me. Well, not necessarily. It's actually not about you. It's not really about me. Now, now, there are principles. There are truths. There are things that we can learn and understand. There are, are skills that we can gain in life. And, and Scripture is so full of so many great truths and hints and helpful things that, that help us navigate life in a really skillful way. It is true. It is true that, that we get an understanding of who God is, and that helps us relate properly to God. And there are principles that we can apply to our lives and that we when we live by these principles, it, it really helps our lives fill in the purpose gaps that seems like maybe we're, we're missing. It helps us understand that there's a larger story at play. But, but I don't want us to miss this one thing. And, and if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down or maybe in the chat box you can, you can type this out. I want you to know this, that Jesus is the central figure of all Scripture. Jesus is the center actor. He's the center of all of Scripture. All of the Bible reveals and points to and talks about and accentuates the reality of who Jesus is. He's a figure not only historically, but He's a figure personally in our lives. He, he literally splits time. Like how we measure time is measured by His life on the earth. B.C., before Christ, and A.D., now afterwards. Like, like there is this understanding that all of time and how we keep time is tracked by this one man, Jesus Christ. And what you believe about Jesus matters a great deal. And what I believe about Jesus matters a, a great deal. And in early times, even a couple hundred years even, even 50 years right after Jesus had been died and he crucified and raised to life and he now he was seated in heaven. Like, like even after all of those moments, people began to doubt and rumors began to spread and misinformation and fake news was rampant as to who Jesus was and who he wasn't. And some were just saying he was another man. Some were just saying he was a good prophet. But there were some, there were a few, there were many actually who believed that Jesus was more than just a man, but he was the son of God as well. And there, in order to help uh, clarify some of the misinformations about who Jesus is, the, the early followers got together, and that's just part of why this creed was even born in the first place. To help people understand and realize and come to grips with what we believed about Jesus, about who he was. He was central to the story of redemption and he's central to human history and he's central to us because scripture all is about Jesus. It points to him. And in the creed, we see some pretty uh, 
heavy section of, uh, of truth there at the top all about Jesus, who He was, how He was begotten, how He's the one Lord, the Son of God, sent from God, God from God, light from light, uh, born uh, but, and begotten of God, uh, of the, conceived of the virgin, like, like all of these truths about who He was and how He came to be were really at play. And I want to walk through and talk through today in this, this sermon uh, that I'm calling Center Stage looking at who Jesus is, and when you get a clear picture of who Jesus is, why he came, how he lived, how he came to be, there is a great strength of your faith that grows these roots that become unshakable in your life, that no matter what comes, no matter how you look at it, it helps you relate to God in the right way because you see Jesus accurately, clearly, correctly. And so if you're taking notes, I want to walk you through three things today that uh, the creed kind of references and talks about, but what we believe to be true about Jesus. Just three today, and then we'll uh, kind of have part two next week as we talk some more about Jesus and what, what's to come and what the creed talks about. It. So we understand what we believe as followers of Jesus. Number one, it's this, that Jesus is fully God. Jesus is fully God. The creed references that there is one Lord. Did you know that in the all through um, the New Testament, 700 different times, it references Jesus as Lord. 700 times he's referenced as Lord. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 5 through 6. Uh, it says this, it says, For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, the one whom all things and for whom we exist. Now, we talked about who God is last week. So if you missed last Sunday, go back to the YouTube channel or log into our Central Hub and watch that message back. But we talked about God last week and God is our Father and that's what Scripture is telling us here. But it goes on to say, whom from all things and for whom we exist and one Lord, Jesus Christ. One Lord, Jesus Christ. He is the Lord of lords. And through Him all those things came to exist so we jesus was fully fully god 100 percent god being he was one lord not not only that but but the creed says it and we believe that they was one one with the maker in other words god the father and god the son together were the creators and the makers of our world look at colossians chapter 1 verse 16 it says for by him all things were created who's it talking about it's talking about jesus for him being jesus all things were created in heaven and on earth. In other words, if it's visible and invisible, Jesus was a part of that. Jesus was the maker. He was, uh, he was the, the maker with the Father to create all of these things. And all things were created through Him and for Him. Jesus is fully God. He was one with the maker. Jesus is fully God. He is true God. Not a lie God, not a false God, not a pretend God. See, there were many prophets that would come and say, oh, I am, I am like God. And and so they were always on the lookout for false prophets, false gods. And in the world in which they lived, it was rampant with the number of gods that people had. There were, there were many people who would talk about, oh, I have a God. I have this God and I have that God and a God of fertility and a God of rain and a God of sunshine and a God of the earth and a God of the stars and a God of this and a God of that. It was just kind of like a pick and choose your God adventure if you wanted to. And so people were worshiping all sorts of things. But Along comes Jesus, who is true God, truly God. Why? Because Jesus was fully 
God. And not only was he true God, but here's a key part. You need to understand this. He was begotten of God. He came from God himself. Look at uh, maybe one of the most famous verses in all of Scripture, John 3, verse 16. says this, For God so loved the world. God loved the world so much that he gave his only son. Somebody say only son. He gave his only son that whoever would believe in him, in his son, would not perish, but would have eternal life. One version says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. In other words, Jesus was begotten of God, the Father. Jesus came from God, the Father. The Father that Jesus had was not an earthly father, but he came from God, the Heavenly Father. That word only in, in here, John 3, verse 16, where it says his only son, that word only in the original Greek is the word monogene. Don't miss this. Monogene. One, one gene. God's gene. A heavenly DNA was the DNA of Jesus. Why? Because Jesus was fully, fully God. He, it was the only. It was the monogene. He was the only born from God. There is only one born Son of God. His name is Jesus. And because of what Jesus done on the cross, He's given us the right to also be sons and daughters of God. But you and I are not born of natural from God, but we are born in spirit from God. Ooh, Jesus is the only born begotten from God. In, in ancient times, this understanding of the deity of Christ was often being denied. First by the Ibionites in 107 AD, and then later in 325 AD, when this Nicene Creed was really come together, there was much controversy and and arguments against false news, false, false understanding, false teaching, that Jesus wasn't God, that he was just a man. And because he was just a man, then you don't get to, to see him as God and he can't be worshipped and he can't bring salvation and he can't bring hope to you. No, it was, it was this understanding that, uh, that Jesus is. But in these ancient times, the very deity, the godness, if you will, the God, God-likeness of Jesus was being questioned. In modern times, it's no different. See, uh, Christ's deity has been questioned by deists, by Unitarians, by Christian scientists by Jehovah Witnesses, and by Mormons, and many other liberal theologians. The mainstream of the church, you and I, we hold strongly and fast to the understanding of the doctrine of the Trinity and the deity of Christ. We talked a little bit about the Trinity last week, that that God is God, but there are three parts to God. It is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Just just like uh, we use the example of an egg, uh, as simple as it sounds that there's a shell, there's egg whites and there's egg yolks, all three parts is still called an egg and all three of these people are still called God, but they have distinct roles. And whether you realize it or not, you and I, we were created in the image of God. And and I tend to believe uh, that as you look at Scripture, you'll see this play out, that as human beings, we ourselves are three parts. You are a spirit. You have a soul, that's your mind, your will, and your emotions, and you live in a body. You are a three-part human being. There are three components, three parts to your being. It's all you, but there are three parts to you. 
just like there are three parts to God. And in these ancient times, the deity of Christ was under attack, that he couldn't be God, but yet he was. And Jesus himself referred to himself as the Son of God and the Son of Man. So, so you need to, we need to understand that as followers of Jesus today, one of the tenets, one of the things, keystones of our faith is that we believe Jesus is fully God. Here's number two. Jesus is also fully man. <laughs> fully God, fully man. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. It says, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. There's one, one mediator, one person, who gets to stand between God and you. One person that's, that's interfering between the punishment that God had to bring to humanity. One person, one, one mediator, one go-between, it is Jesus. And because now Jesus' Spirit lives in us, we don't need a priest. We don't have to go through anybody to broker a deal between you and God, to, to broker a relationship, to broker a friendship, to broker communication. You don't have a go-between anymore because Jesus lives in you. You've been made one with Christ. There's this understanding that Jesus, He is the one man Christ Jesus. Jesus Himself referred to Himself as Son of Man 70 different times while on the earth. We have record in Scripture of Jesus calling Himself the Son of Man, 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 the Son of Man. Over 70 different times, Jesus Himself introduces Himself as, hey, I'm, I'm the Son of Man. But He was fully God, and He was fully man. Jesus Himself had human attributes. Right? <laughs> like, think about this. Jesus suffered. Jesus got hungry. Jesus got thirsty. Uh, Jesus had tears. Jesus got tired and needed a nap. Uh, Jesus, uh, don't miss it. Jesus had to endure second grade and middle school and puberty. Like you know, like it's hard to imagine Jesus, the Savior of the world. Like, Hi guys, my name's Jesus. Right? Like, like I don't, I don't, I don't, I can't hardly fathom it because he is such a God being, and he's to be worshipped. But he was fully man. He had all of the human tendencies and desires that we have except one. He never sinned against God, against God's ways and against God's laws. He suffered, he shed blood, he died, he was buried, he experienced life like you have to experience life. He was fully man, he is fully man. Look at how Philippians says it, Philippians chapter 2. Starting in verse 5, it says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God. Why? Because Jesus was fully God. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead of having this huge power trip on the earth, he gave up his divine privileges. And he took the humble position of a slave and a servant and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. He was fully man. He is fully man. He's fully God. And he decided to step out of heaven to lead all of his God powers, all of his almightiness. He left them in the throne of heaven to come and live as a man. But in him, in his DNA, in his spirit, he was fully God fully perfect, fully alive, different than you and I. And 
And of course, one of the key ways that we know He was fully God is that He was sent from God, born of God. He was begotten of God. But one of the ways that we know He was fully man was, get this, He was born of a virgin. He was born of, of a virgin. And, and look at what, um, what God says in Genesis chapter 3, in the very beginning. I don't know if you're familiar with the story or not, but in the very beginning, God created everything. It was wonderful. There's this garden, and he had one thing. He said, here's one tree. You cannot eat the fruit of this one tree. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but there's this other tree, the tree of life. Eat from it instead. And Adam and Eve were the first humans. They were in the garden, and as they were in the garden, they became tempted. And they had their own free will. They had their own choice. They could have chosen to eat of any tree, but they decided through temptation to eat from one tree. The one tree God said don't eat. They had all of these other options, but it's the one thing they couldn't have. It's like in quarantine right now. Like you've got all sorts of options that you can't have, but you probably are craving to do the one thing that you just can't do right now. Like that's all I want to do, but you can't do it. But there were so many other things that you could do. And isn't it, isn't it just like all of us, man, when we get stuck in this moment, these stuck in these places when all we can see is what we can't do, we miss out on the opportunities and the possibilities of what we can do. Uh, we can't gather together in one building. Yeah, but man, we can gather right where you're at and we can still have church and we can still lean in. And right now as a church, we are reaching into more homes, into more lives, bringing the message of Jesus into more places than we have ever been able to do as a church at one time. So I thank God for these opportunities that we have. But when all of that happened, they ate the fruit, they fell, they sinned, and God came down looking for them. And, and God started dishing out, here are the consequences. Here's the reality of, of what's going to happen now. And he comes in and he says, this is going to happen. You're going to have to deal with this. You're going to have to deal with this. This is now cursed. All of these things, because you made a choice to disobey, here's the consequences. And, and he says this to the serpent who was the deceiver, who, tried to, who got them to eat the fruit in the first place. Genesis 3, verse 15 God says this, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and thou shalt bruise his heel. What, what, is, what was God saying? God was talking to the serpent. and He's saying this, you think that because of this sin, your, your sinful ways, they're just going to continue on. Well, I've got news for you, pal. I'm going to send my son. He's going to have... My seed is going to be her seed, and, and this, he, he's going to come. You're going to bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. What was God referencing? He was referencing his plan to send his son to die on a cross, and that cross would crush the head of the enemy. Sure, it may have bruised his heel for a minute, but Jesus had total victory over the sin that entered the world in that one moment. But, but I want you to notice that God's plan from the beginning of time was that his son would be born of a virgin. Notice, he said, and I'm going to put it between you and her seed. Now, for all of you who aren't biology majors and doctors, I just need you to understand, in the, the female body, there is no seed. That, that, that's not how God created you. It's not how he created you women but he said her seed why because we know through the the christmas story in luke that the holy spirit came in and dwelt and filled her and something miraculous and it was the seed of god the only begotten of god that came in into the womb of mary and mary carried the savior 
And so Jesus was born of a virgin. She had not met a man. She was engaged to a man, but had never been with that man, had never been with any man. She was a virgin, pure and holy in that sense. And so, so the, the sinfulness of it wasn't present. It was something that God found a virtuous person, somebody who was worthy, who could carry out. And, and what Mary did was so amazing and miraculous. And, and it was just this plan of God from the beginning of time. Now, And I need you to understand something. What Mary did was incredible. Mary did something that took courage, that took boldness, that took just audacity to believe God. She had such incredible faith. I'm so inspired by her. In fact, I'd encourage you to go in and read the Christmas account, the birth of Christ in Luke and in Matthew. Why? Because right now it is not Christmas time. And so typically when we read the Christmas story, we're like caught up in the eggnog and the presents and the nostalgia and the lights and the twinkle. And the... But, but sometimes we miss the very power and the truth of what we believe because of what, it, what happened there. Listen, I, I want to say this real clearly and, and with great empathy and understanding. As believers, as followers of Jesus, I, I want us to know, re- realize this, that Mary is worthy of great respect and honor but she is not worthy of our worship. She is not our go-between between God and us. Mary, the mother of Jesus, is, is worthy of much respect and honor, just like we honor all of the biblical heroes, just like we celebrate all of the characters in the, in the story of Christ, but, but she is not to be worshipped. We don't have to pray to her in order to get to God. No, we can have a direct relationship with God. Why? But because of the virgin birth, there is now made possible the second birth where you and I can experience a new birth spiritually, where we can receive Jesus by faith and experience something new. See, without the virgin birth, there is no second birth. So it's important that we believe and we understand that this is a key tenet of our faith that Jesus was fully God, but he was fully man. I want you to see why this is important. In Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 15, I want you to, 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 to listen to these words that the Apostle Paul, he was explaining the importance of why it was important to have a virgin born. He was explaining what Jesus was getting, what God was getting at in Genesis chapter 3. And it all culminates right here. It says this, verse 15, Romans 5. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many. Nor can the gift of God even be compared to the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. In other words, that because of what Adam and Eve did in the garden, sin and condemnation showed up. And for every human being, because man has to represent replicate and reproduce in their own kind each one of us can only reproduce our own kind and i am a sinner until i get saved but because of that my the sinful human nature of who we are it it only is replicated and so because of one man condemnation and judgment had to come into the world but the gift that followed many trespasses and brought justification verse 17 for if by the trespass of one man Adam, death reigned through, through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, 
so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. In other words, that because of Adam's one act of sin, it showed up and brought condemnation and judgment. But because Jesus showed up fully God and fully man, perfect, never having sinned, he gets to show up and bring about the miracle and the salvation and the gift and the freedom that we get to experience. Here, here's why this is so important. Because not only is Jesus fully God, not only is Jesus fully man, but the whole reason Jesus came, Jesus came to redeem humanity. Jesus came to fulfill and do exactly what Romans said. He came to fulfill the, the, the thing that God said that he's going to crush you. He's going to redeem and set free. 1 John 3 verse 5 says it like this. It says, you know that Jesus appeared in order to take away sins and in him, in him there is no sin. Jesus showed up to redeem you and to redeem me, to redeem all of humanity. This is why he came. He suffered. He was crucified. He died. He was buried. He was resurrected. John chapter 1, verse 25, John the Baptist was baptizing people in the river and Jesus comes walking down and John says this the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, behold, the Lamb of God. Everybody look, 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 look. There he is, there he is. That's the Lamb of God right there who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus was the Lamb of God. He came to redeem humanity. Lambs were meant to be sacrificed. That was how people atoned for their sin in the Old Testament. Somebody had to cover. Somebody had to fix. Somebody had to, to, to take away the sin and the reproach and the guilt and the shame. And the best that they had was a lamb that was without spot or blemish. And so they would sacrifice this lamb. And John says, look, here comes Jesus. That's the Lamb of God. The perfect, sinless, spotless Lamb. He's going to die and be sacrificed and take away the sins of the world. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 20 says this, Life you inherited from your ancestors, and it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value, but it was the precious blood of Jesus, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, God who chose him as a ransom long before the world began, but now in these last days, he has been revealed for your sake. In other words, Jesus came to redeem humanity. Listen, I get it. It's difficult to understand, right? That he's fully God, but yet he's fully man. He was born of a virgin? What? It doesn't make sense. It is difficult to understand. And it seems like how could one man redeem and pay and provide freedom and forgiveness for everybody when the same way that one man screwed it all up one man came and saved it all again see it seems too good to be true because that's the grace of our father he's a loving father who sent his son jesus for us to bring life to us charles spurgeon said it like this he says as well might a gnat seek to drink in the ocean can you imagine a gnat trying to drink in the entire ocean as a finite creature to comprehend the eternal God. In other words, just like a gnat can't even comprehend drinking the entire ocean, neither can finite beings, you and me, even begin to fully comprehend the infinite God. You and I are finite creatures right now. God is an infinite God, not bound by time or space, all-powerful, all-knowing, always present. And it blows our mind and it's hard to understand. 
Charles Spurgeon goes on to say this. He says, a God whom we could not understand would be no God at all. If we could grasp Him, He could not be infinite. And if we could understand Him, then He could not be divine. The very fact that we have a hard time understanding this crazy plan that God had the hard times that we have to wrestle in, in, in our brains and our finite thinking and understanding and our limited under, approach to even try to comprehend all of who God is and what He is and how Jesus came and how it worked and why it worked. Like, like even trying to comprehend that, I realize it's so difficult. But that's why it takes faith. That's why it takes a moment. So the, the question is simply really this. It's not who is Jesus historically. Uh, we have... He, he, there's, there's, there's more written about him in history. We have more understanding and original manuscripts, copies of his life than we have of any other historical figure. That's why we can trust the Bible because of the sheer number of, of accurate accounts that have been verified over and over and over again. The reality is it's not who is he historically. The, the real question is who is Jesus to you? Have you come to a place where you can say, Jesus is my Lord? Is he just some God? Is he just some being? Is he just some human, some historical figure? Or is he God? Only you can answer that question. And, and to be honest, it's not that, that there isn't logical proof because I believe that there is. It's, it's not that, that we're going to understand it because we're not. At the end of the day, it's going to take faith. It takes faith to believe that God doesn't exist, and it takes faith to believe that God does exist. It takes faith to believe that Jesus showed up and that he, what he meant to you. In, in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is in a place called Caesarea Philippi. And in this place, he was, this is the only encounter, the only time in Jesus' life that he would travel this far. It was several miles, several hours journey from where his ministry in Galilee took place. It was up north. I've been to Caesarea Philippi, the remains of this huge rock place. And in Caesarea Philippi, there was this temple that was built uh, to the god Pan, uh, one of these false gods. And, and Pan was one of the few gods who could cross into what was believed that he was one of these, these few Greek gods that could cross into Hades and return to earth that he could cross both spaces. It was, it was believed that as a result on this one side in Caesarea Philippi, that, that it was recognized as the gates of hell itself. And that's what it was recognized there. And Jesus was standing in, in what would have been called the gates of Hades, believed to be where Pan would, the one access point would, where Pan, the god Pan, the, the false god Pan, would cross between earth and, and Hades, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And Jesus was standing in this very place with his disciples. And in Matthew chapter 16, we get a record of this conversation. When Jesus came to that region, he asked his disciples, you know, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Here are all these other gods. We have the God of Pan here. All these other things behind me in my backdrop. But, but, but who do people say? And they piped up, well, some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Others say Jeremiah. One of maybe the other prophets? And Jesus said, yeah, 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 but, but who do you say that I am? Who am I to you? What, would you? what is your belief about me? 
I don't care what others are saying. I, I know we're standing here in Caesarea Philippi in this, this place, this, this Roman cultural icon, this, this place of other gods where other things are worshipped, where, where Caesar would be known as the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, all lowercase. That's who he was known for, and this is what it all represented. And he asked them, he says, now, who do you say I am? And then Peter spe- speaks up, and he says this, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, you're blessed because you figured it out, Peter. And on that truth, I'm going to build my entire church. And he, and he says this famous, famous verse that maybe you've heard, I'm going to build my church on this truth, and the gates of Hades itself can't prevail against it. In other words, Jesus was having this tongue-in-cheek. He was flexing on the God pan in this one moment, saying, I I know that people believe this little God, and that's really cute and all, but I am the living God. I am the Son of God. I am the Son of Man, and I've come to take away the sins of the world, and I'm going to establish a movement of people who have been redeemed and are now sons and daughters of God. I'm coming to redeem the world. And on this very truth that I am the Christ, the anointed, the Messiah, I'm going to build this and hell itself can't stop it. It was a recognition of Jesus' supremacy that he is the Lord of lords, the King of kings. He is the God of all gods. He is Jesus, fully God, fully man, come to redeem us Jesus is standing here today asking you the same question that he asked his disciples. Who do you say that I am? You might not have a false god called Pan. You might not have little statues of things that you bow to. But here in this quarantine, there's been lots of things taken away out of your life, stripped out of our normalcy, that that we've kicked and we've screamed and we've been upset about. Is it possible that you've been worshiping and pursuing some false gods? Some false things that that you were bowing and surrendering and pursuing in your life, that you believed in your job more than you believed in your Savior, that you believed in your efforts, that if you were just good enough, then you can make it. But here we are in a time and a place where your efforts are limited. And yet we still have to trust that God is still God. Your good deeds will never measure up to the perfectness of Christ. That's why it's not your good deeds against your bad deeds that get you into heaven. That's not the weight. It's all of your life against the righteous act of Christ. And do you with your whole heart recognize Jesus as your Lord? Who is God to you? Is it Jesus? If so, let's worship him wholeheartedly. Maybe you're here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus. You've never submitted to him as the Lord in your life. You're the one still calling all the shots You're the one, if you don't feel it, you don't do it. If you don't like it, you don't pursue it. If it's not going to benefit you, you're not going to do it. It doesn't matter who you have to run over, push over, or get beyond. You're just going to do it in your own way. You have become your own God. Can I tell you that your sins, and they are many, and my sins, and they are many, God wants to wipe the slate clean because you put your faith in Jesus. If you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus and you want to say, I want to make Jesus my Lord, I want you right now in the chats, uh, right here, Church Online, you can click the link that says, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to put my faith in Jesus. On Facebook, on YouTube right now, you just, uh, by, by a simple sign, says, Jesus is my Lord. 
You just type it in there, Jesus is my Lord, Jesus is, and, and we're just gonna take it as your declaration, your decision to say, I'm gonna trust in Jesus, I'm gonna trust in him. Let, let's pray together, church. Father, I pray right now for those that are watching this live and watching back on replay later on who are making a commitment to say, Jesus, I believe in you. Lord, we couldn't get out of the mess on our own. We have centuries of history of, of people trying to do good, trying to do right, but it never measures up. Lord, the only one that could really redeem and set the record right, the only one that could bring balance back to the ledger was Jesus, who was fully God, fully man, come to redeem us. Jesus, the reason you came was for Matthew. The reason you came was for us was for every person watching right now, for every Peter, every John, every Jane, every Margaret, every Martha, every Taylor. Lord, every one of us, that's why you came, to save us from our own sin. Jesus, we believe in you. You are the Son of God. Forgive us. Redeem us. Lord, we give you our lives in surrender and we say we're going to follow you with everything that we have. We thank you for it. Lord, be with us this week. Lord, as we walk through life, may we have a deepening in our, and in, in, in a strengthening of our understanding of who you are, Jesus. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Hey, we love you. Have a great Sunday. Hey, Faith Family. We're so glad you tuned in for this message from the Sermon Collection Roots. Speaking of messages, if you need your faith stirred or need to listen to a message again, you can always find them grouped together under the Watch tab on the Central Hub at faithchurchks.org. So if you're anything like me, you're probably spending a little more time on social media these days. So make sure you follow Faith Church on Facebook and Instagram so you can stay up to date on the latest news, receive encouragement, and even send us prayer requests and someone will pray for you. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube with the handle at FaithChurchKS. Speaking of social, we are so ready to get back together to meet face to face. The staff is watching the conditions closely from the state and federal level regarding the safety of meeting together again. So please pray for the leadership as they are prayerfully considering what our reopening plan will look like. But don't worry, once we know more, we'll let you know through all our communication platforms. So make sure you're following us on social media and have signed up for emails and texts. Finally, First Wednesday Prayer is upon us. Let's not forget the power of prayer during this time where many people are being tried and suffering loss. This Wednesday at 7 p.m., we hope that you'll join us for an evening of worship and prayer. You can find us where you normally would watch any live broadcast, like Facebook, YouTube, or the Church Online platform. Well, we pray this message has been life-giving and faith-building for you. It would mean the world to us if you'd like and share this video so that others can hear the good news of hope in this world. Thanks for being with us today, and I'll see you later. Hey, friends and family, I hope today's message was life-giving for you. I want to ask you to take a next step and go ahead and click the subscribe button so you never miss another chance to have an encounter with God. And while you're at it, take another step and share it with a friend. Maybe post it on your social network or text a coworker the link. And when you do that, you are partnering and get to be a part of seeing faith come to life in them. 
Hey, if Faith Church has made an impact in your life, if these messages are helping you gain traction in your faith, would you consider partnering with us financially? When you do that, it helps us widen our reach so that more people can have an encounter with the real Jesus. You can find information and ways to give on our central hub, faithchurchks.org. If you're If you live in the Southeast Kansas region, we'd love to see you in person at one of our Sunday services. You can find those times on our hub as well, faithchurchks.org. Hey, remember this, God is for you and we love you.